0: Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode, we share an interview from 2019 with Jeff Keller, founder of Sunrise Cyclery and Loderja, the Logan to Jackson 200-mile bike race. Welcome back, everyone. This is Chase Anderson, and today I'm joined by Jeff Keller, a uh, man of many talents, um, the owner of Sunrise Cyclery here in town, um, the founder of the Logan to Jackson race. Any other titles that I'm missing? Entrepreneur,
1: uh zeox
0: zeox founder of zeox yes which maybe you can give a share a little bit about what that is
1: zeox rocks zeox is the future for organizing stuff
0: there you go yeah. and if people want to learn more about that
1: where can they go uh, website? Well, we don't have a website yet okay
0: <laughs> well we <we'll- laughs> they can come see me at <laughs> okay go to sunrise and and see it uh, in action but yes. um we we brought you on to talk a little bit about the bike community and you've been a staple and a foundation of the bike community here for a long time and um i think we can attribute a lot of the bike culture to you and and what you've done here in the community um first of all starting sunrise maybe we can get into that when was sunrise founded
1: oh gosh nine. well uh i didn't know i had to have a business license so on record it's 1981 but it was before then okay yeah I didn't realize you had to have a license to have a business, so I just started one.
0: So what, how, what did you start with? Were you just fixing bikes, just buying and selling bike parts and bikes? How did that start?
1: Well, actually I was um, fixing bikes, well, I was a college student to get through school and earn some extra money. <clears throat> and I started that at Colorado College where I first started college, and then brought that to Logan when I came back to Utah and was at Utah State, and it got to be too much for my um, my house, actually, where I was renting. In fact, I, I uh, reported a bike stolen because I had to stash things all over the place, and I had misstashed a customer's bike, and I couldn't find it, so I reported it stolen, but I put it in some deep, dark corner of some shed that I hardly used. So it was time to get serious after reporting a bicyclist that was in my own shed, or my shed I was renting. So uh, I, the sportsman was getting into bikes and they had the Trek line and they needed a mechanic and so I hung out in their basement and started Sunrise Cyclery. And I had the help of this um, Felstead family and Jim Kofid and um, after a year there I went above ground and Moved uh, to a little room there and rented from the Ibis coffee shop. And it was a little 20-by-20-foot room with the bathroom. And that was my office, the bathroom. And the shower leaked, so I put the rubber in the shower because it didn't matter. (laughs) So that's how I got started.
0: And then from there, did you move to the the current location at the end of federal...
1: Yeah. I was was there at the IBIS location for about a year. And then I was house sitting and uh, needed to move anyway. So um, this house came up for sale and bought it and started remodeling it and That was a hellacious (laughs) winner here here we are almost 40 years later
0: you've been there ever since and that's that's one of the more iconic spots i feel like in the downtown area the sunrise cyclery house um what did biking look like at the time when you started getting into fixing bikes selling bikes what what did it look like around that time? Who else was doing it? Sounds like the sportsman was interested in getting into it, and that's how you got started. But what did well, it look like at the time?
1: Here, here in Logan, there there was Al's Sporting Goods with the sort of a bike store shop, um, and then um, I think it was Guido's was another one. Um, and the same year I started officially with the license and everything, Bob Borg started. Um, he started Guido's, actually. Um, there's another bike store. I forgot the name of it. Across from the liquor store, I think it was. Um, Pat Preston had had a store, bikes and skis on Main Street. Um, there wasn't a whole lot. I, I actually tried to get uh, Miller's Ski and Cycle House in Ogden to open a store in Logan. In fact, I, I said I if they... Would start one. I'd run it for them if they would. And of course, they didn't do that, so I had to start my own. <laughs> I used to ride my bike to Miller's Ski and Cycle House from Logan to buy parts there. In Ogden. In Ogden. That's so, quite the ride. Yeah, so I'd ride there, and get stuff, and come home and fix things. So,
0: so how uh, how did you get the idea? You know, you had started the shop. What gave you this crazy idea that you needed to start a bike race from Logan and ride to, to Jackson Hole, Wyoming? Where where did that idea come from for for Lodija or the Logan to Jackson race?
1: Actually, I credit that more with Dave Byrne mm-hmm. than myself. Dave was a student here at Utah State in um, communications. Uh, I think, photography and communication. And he was a bike person, he and his wife, Didi, and he felt he was out of shape and overweight. And he wasn't really, but in his head. And he needed a goal. So he knew I was crazy because I had um, one day, well, one day I got up again, when I was riding a fair mountain went to a friend's house and convinced him on a Saturday morning to ride from Logan up through Bear Lake and over Strawberry and Preston and back. And I hadn't really measured the distance. It's 135 miles. And um, I had the reputation of doing crazy thing, you know, just like thinking that was a good thing to do. So he figured I would think Jackson was okay the distance. So that was all, only 100, and I think, that one mapped out initially at 186 miles. So um, I said, yes, I think it sounds great. Let's do it. And We wanted, both of us wanted to have a European one-day classic type of an event that would be motivated to, to kind of keep you going for longer. The bike racing season's really long and you kind of get burned out. So this was something that would just keep beating at you.
0: Were there other bike races around at the time? What were were there any other options in Utah at that no, time?
1: Nothing that long. Okay. Um, I think. One of the longest races was the Snake River Road Race, which was started in, at least when I did it. It started in Wilson. Went over Teton Pass and ended up back there in Wilson. I think that was 110 miles. Oh, wow. Okay.
0: So nothing up to 200 miles like you guys were starting
1: to do. No. In fact, uh, Logan to Jackson or Lotoja ended up up being the longest sanctioned one-day race in the United States.
0: Wow. And and is it still? At the time it was. I think it's
1: now the longest in two ways. The longest running race in the United States it has been sanctioned by the US, I guess the United States Cycling Federation. And it's the longest race.
0: Wow. And so it's been going on for over 30 years, started in 19. 30, the first one 30, that you did was, years. was uh, 83. Is yeah. that right?
1: First year is 83.
0: Wow. And it was just the two of you? Did you no, was there anyone else crazy enough to go and do this the first uh, year?
1: There were nine that started, and Bobby Van Slyke won he was a local fireman i used to race with him and his wife Kathy, and bobby and there's a bunch of us would be at all the races so right i mean when i say all the races the races here in the intermountain west so utah idaho primarily utah idaho colorado montana so so what what is it about
0: the course that that makes it interesting outside of the, just the sheer distance what can you give us a little idea of what what people go through during the course of the race?
1: Well, for, first of all, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's if you change the street signs and the cuisine and the license plates and the car styles, you could think you're in a whole lot of other countries. It's, I mean, I've cycled in Europe, and you know, you stack your wood different, and there's certain things that are different. But I mean, it's a beautiful place to ride. Um, the weather makes it really interesting because the weather changes. Um, the, uh, I, I, well, what was your question? Why do people write it?
0: Just more like the the landscape of the right. race. So, I mean, what are riders going through over the course of the race? Wow. You know, elevation.
1: That, well, the elevation changes. In fact, when it first started, it was a relatively flat race. Mm-hmm. I mean, considering where we're going here in the west and the mountains, I mean, it was for a hundred and eighty-six or whatever. You know, it creeped up to two hundred miles. It was pretty flat, really. Um, it's gotten more climbing now because we go over now the course goes over three passes instead of two and they're bigger um as i recall the early early years it was only about oh it was you know like 65 or 9500 feet of elevation gain not a lot i mean it's a bit but i've done i mean there's rides that have a heck of a lot more right so
0: yeah so how many people participate in the race now? So 30, 30 plus years later, how many people are involved in this, in the race? Uh,
1: with relay teams and everything, it's – I don't really know the exact number. Um, Brent Chambers, who's been the race director for a long time, has done a fantastic job. That's why it's still going. It's because of him. Um you would have the real numbers, but it's somewhere, I'm going to say 2,500-ish, 3,000. Wow. I'm not really sure.
0: Yeah. That's that's huge. Did you ever... What did you think when you started the race? Where did you think this would go? Did you think it would just be a few friends doing this every year, or did you imagine it growing into something like this where you have 2,500 people racing in it?
1: You know, we didn't... Really, I, I, I personally never thought about it. I, You know, you just... We started doing it, and we just did it, and thought it was neat, and it grew from nine, which really was seven because I was one of the nine, and I had no intention of writing the whole thing because I had to run sunrise, so I went to the border and came back.
0: Oh, really? <laughs>
1: um, it got up to fifty. That was lovely, and you know, it grew 150. You know, it just kept kind of growing, and I don't have a conscious awareness of thinking. Oh, I wonder if we can make this bigger and how long we can ride. I don't I just, you know, every year it was just like it's like climbing a mountain one step at a time. We just did it.
0: Where do uh where do a lot of people come from to ride this race? I imagine you get a lot of in state people who participate, but I imagine you also get some international
1: know, people coming
0: internationally to participate and all over the country.
1: Yes. They're um I, I don't know how many countries show up, but a surprising number. Yeah. Um, and there's typically people from all 50 states. Wow. Um, lots, obviously, from Utah. Um, partly because Brent Chambers, who runs the event and has been, and again, does a great, fantastic job, he. <clears throat> He doesn't want to have too many new people every, in any given year, so he tries to balance it. And so, since it started here, it makes sense. There's gonna be more local people. So right. Salt Lake, I'd say Salt Lake is the biggest, although there's a huge contingent that comes up from uh, Las Vegas. Hmm. I mean, there, occasionally there's a whole bus. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, like it'd be 50 riders from a team. Right. They're spread out in other, you know, they're not all in one group, but yeah.
0: And are the bulk of the people that are riding this doing it as a relay, as a team, solo? Like
1: uh, Brent would have those numbers okay, for but sure. But you get a
0: mix of but people. I,
1: I would say it's because on a relay team you can have anywhere from two to six people. I mean, there's I, there's likely more numbers there. Yeah, But I honestly don't know. <clears throat> I think most people's goal is to ride it on their own at some point so the relay is a stepping stone. Right. A lot of them.
0: Right. What do you think the the impact of the race on this community has been?
1: Uh, Brett would put those numbers together better than me because he's had- Not even agencies. economic impact, but like yeah.
0: culturally. What do you think it's done to, to the community? You've seen it here for 30 years. What do you think it's done to- I
1: I think it's given a lot of people a reason to ride. Mm. And in that sense, you know, it's had a pretty impactual, uh, very impactual. In fact, I when I quit selling giant bicycles, um, um, one of the things I told them was, why don't you do something constructive to grow the market like we have by having events like Logan to Jackson, LotoJack.
0: And at the time in Cache Valley, there was no other race, right? Nothing so- like
1: that. Well, we actually, <clears throat> we at Sunrise, we did a few races. So we had Logan to Jackson, is obviously the biggest one. We used to have a Little Mountain Road race. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> I think that was what, Trenton Clarkson Newton. So we went over that little Indian outlook. We did that for years. Uh, we helped start the Cache Valley Biathlon. Um, but local races, no, there wasn't. We did a few crits I mean, there. But the things, uh, actually we tried to get a crit going here and actually had a university crit criterion that was pretty neat. That'd be very good to, that'd be really cool to do again. In fact, it went from the hyper building around by the old main building so you had some good hard fun corner it's a great crit course
0: yeah what what is what does that kind of race explain uh, what that criterium? is criterium
1: yeah. criterium is a short circuit so typically less than you know a couple of miles or even a mile long it'll be it's in the city so it's a high spectator sport and it's dynamic cuz you're having these sprints and they'll ring a bell and you can hear the bell and you know there's going to be something going on and there'll be money and the audience can say, "Hey, I'll I'll give a hundred dollars to whoever gets through the finish line and first and the next third lap, you know, mm. whatever." And so it makes it dynamic. More crashes because you're hitting the corners hard, but um, you got to see a lot of racing, and you don't have to. You can just walk in between. You know, if you're in the middle of it, you just walk across. You know the block, and then you can see right. what's going on. So yeah. that would be, and we have a the Utah State has a race team, right? So I think they had yeah. a. Into that again. That was a lot of fun. Yeah.
0: So I was going to save this question for the end, but what what changes would you like to see to strengthen the bike and the outdoor community here in Cache Valley? And and you know, bringing back events like that, I imagine, would be, would be actually huge for I, the community.
1: I think I think the biggest thing that we could do, honestly, would be to have bikers' ed, bikers' education part of drivers' education. Mm. To both educate cyclists, or people who want to be cyclists, but also to educate the car drivers that cyclists have rights on the roads. Right, And um, as a cyclist, it is getting worse out there with people distracted by their cell phones, and there's a different attitude, I mean, I, I think even when I drive a car, there's a different attitude in driving than there used to be. There's more traffic. So, obviously, there's going to be changes. But I think if people felt safer on the roads, um, that would be a bigger impact and more events. Right?
0: How many uh, first-time riders do you get coming into the shop looking for their first bike? And and you hear those stories of feeling daunted to even get out on the road because of that. Or do they not even make it into the shop because I, I, they're I, too daunted by it? Um,
1: gosh, first-time riders. I mean – I really don't know how—I don't have a good answer to that question. I do know—I just talked to an older couple. When I say older, I mean they're retired, so they're not old. And they bought two bikes and moved to a different location, and they're afraid to ride their bikes hmm. because it's, the streets are too busy and they're too narrow and there isn't a marked bike path. Um, having the bike paths, that helps, creates a safety line. Um in countries that really take cycling seriously, they'll even have a little barrier, mm-hmm. and that increases it but really it's it's making the infrastructure better um <clears throat> I think having the bike park's gonna make a difference because that can get more people moving on bikes and
0: yeah at a some, younger age getting younger started age. out
1: um i but i I think the infrastructure could be better, and we have in Utah we have the wide roads, so mm-hmm. there is plenty of room for bike right. paths. Um, and we have a society that is kind and conscientious to each other in general more so than in big huge cities and stuff Right. Um, and so I think we could take advantage of that attitude mm-hmm. Um, and it's really simple it's just I, I call it the golden rule like the golden rule can be applied to a lot of things but you know if you're if you're driving a car and you thought of it how you want to be treated as a cyclist, that's all you need to do. It's like, well, right. I wouldn't want to have somebody come too close or honk when they're right up next to me or cut me off or, yeah. you know, at times I feel like I need to wear that sign that there's a black and white picture of this little boy and his mother's hanging this uh, uh, um, sandwich board sign on him, and it's on his back and it says, Please, Mister Motorist, don't run over me.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shouldn't have to come to that, right? We have yeah, to wear that sign, right? Right. Um, I, I think Cash Valley's made a lot of strides, positive strides, especially when the county hired a dedicated trails planner, well, right? Who could focus on active transportation and that really push is for that. That's
1: why we have the bike part, right? It's Dayton Christ. Yep. Yeah, he has done a phenomenal job. Yep. Sadly, we are losing Dayton.
0: Yes. So hopefully we can get someone else to come in. and He's
1: going to be hard to replace, yep. but let's, Chase, let's do what we can and get an equal or Dayton, no offense, but if we can get a better one, I'll take that too. Agreed.
0: Um, but just the fact that the county's committed funds yes. to that speaks volumes. Right? Well, they're I, they're ready to commit to, to someone who's going to advocate for oh, trails was, and planning and all of that. Sorry. So yeah.
1: I was blown away when we yeah. got a bike path in front of the Sunrise. Yeah. And people go, you orchestrated this. It's like, well, I've been trying to for over forty yeah. years, and I, I have nothing to do with it now, and yeah. it's just happening. So.
0: so that's one of those things that I think we can do an even better job of letting the county know, like, yeah. no, we this is making a difference that you yeah. set aside funding for this. Um, so I think that's that's been a huge contributor to, to right. you know some of the positive infrastructure changes, but there can be more. Correct. Um, and there's the whole education piece. It's, infrastructure and education a combination of the two
1: well there's i mean you know you're you're younger than me and you you hear some of the attitudes there's just kind of i think we need to just hit it earlier get people to realize that cyclists are taxpayers too and that they we need to just coexist
0: right yeah so Um, are there any any trails or any roads that you wish were more accessible i have a few on my wish list that, you know, for example, Airport Road, I wish was a little more accessible because then you have access to everything out on the west side. And that's kind of one of those main.
1: I, I, I want bike paths on all the roads. Right. Yeah. Realistically, yeah. why not? I right. mean, there, I, I don't see reason not to. Yeah. And I think if they're designated and marked, and obviously there's an expense to paint, but <clears throat> gosh, put up signs, they last longer. And, mm-hmm. um, just push on the awareness, but I I really don't, one of the issues that can crop up when you start having designated roadways, just, you know, there's a bike path here and then a block away, there isn't one. um, Then people think you, as the cyclist, you only ride on the bike designated road. Right. And it's kind of like, well, but I have to get to it. Right. And maybe I like the scene on this street better anyway.
0: right? Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, why do you continue to ride and, and work with bikes? You've been doing this for a long time. Do you still love it as much as you did before?
1: Wow. That's a great question. I love aspects of it just as much as I did before. Um, truthfully, the public, it's not the public so much as social media can be a real grind because you get these reviews that you just like.
0: So adver- advertising the business and having use social media to...
1: Well, I'm talking the business about negative, negative reviews are just right. a real grind because there's no real dialogue. It's just right. just this bad behavior. In fact, I mean anybody that studied that realizes that social media brings out the worst of us, not the best of us. So, I've um, I've gotten better just ignoring that, um, and maybe I've changed my behavior too. Who knows? But um, bikes are just so cool. I mean, it's hard. I mean, how can you not, once you fall in love with bikes, how can you fall out of love? Yeah.
0: What is it about a bike that, that made you fall in love with the sport
1: and riding and working with them? Freedom. As a kid, I could go places. I didn't have to ask my mom to drive me. I could get on my bike and go. And back then, I could go anywhere. Fishing. I mean, I could go anywhere in the valley. And it was fun and safe, and I actually got hit a few times, but um, when you're a kid, you just sort of bounce, and you know, it's all fine. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I used to ride to school, and uh, my friends, I had to wait for them, because they'd take the bus, and I'd be home, and have my snack, and I'd be ready to play, and they'd be still on the bus, waiting to get home, so it just gave me more time, and more freedom, and I like how it felt you know to wind in your hair and sun in your face and just going places and going fast so
0: that's great and that's that you still feel that way
1: today yeah when i get on a bike i I rode up here today and Mm -hmm. um i actually used an electric bike for fun Hmm. i thought well i hadn't ridden this one we don't don't sell a lot of electric bikes
0: do you, you carry them though at sunrise
1: yeah we've been real cautious because there's a lot of crap out there and Mm -hmm. uh, we got in too early years ago and um then people couldn't get batteries for the bikes we sold them and Mm. we didn't feel good about that so we've been slow this time around how
0: do you feel about that whole it's just a entirely new product that's hitting the market how do you feel about that
1: Uh, well i i was slow Sunrise Cycler really was slow to fully embrace mountain bikes. In fact, mm. we are redoing our T-shirt from when they first came out. And our T-shirt is a mountain biker, and it says, encouraging low impact, because even without motors, uh, mountain biking was impacting trails and the wilderness areas because people not understanding where they couldn't couldn't go. Um Sadly, the e-bike has taken that to a whole new level. Um, you have people that don't want to age out. I'm in that category, and I personally feel that when you get to my age, you've probably had a lot of fun, and it doesn't mean that you can continue with the motor. I think that if you've aged out, you've aged out. Mm. So all you out there that are riding those e-bikes in places that you know are you're not supposed to, you know who I am talking about. If you listen to this, I doubt you'll listen to it. But there's a fair number of people that are riding where they shouldn't, and it's in, and they're heavier. You mm-hmm. go faster. You're going places. You're going further. So it makes it harder for the individual that's walking or riding on their own to get away. So I think there's too much selfishness in some of the thought that's used. Mm. So Personally, you
0: think that they could lead to some bad behavior?
1: It already has. It's like snowmobiles lead to bad behavior. Same right. thing. I mean, people end up in the wilderness because they don't know where the boundary is and they're going sixty miles an hour. Right. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, definitely an element of education that needs to happen around around that too. Yeah. Around so, responsible use. Um,
1: so urban use, so I think, is fantastic. Mm,
0: yeah, for those who just need to turn it on just to, to get up a hill or, you know, you know, if it it helps get you outside. Yeah, Yeah. sure.
1: Um, Yeah. I I don't look at it as cheating for people that are using it for utilitarian purposes. If it gets them to do it more, that's a positive. That's great.
0: Yeah, no, that's true. Um, What do you think of the state of kind of the bike culture and bike community in Cache Valley? Now you've, you've seen it, I think come a long way, even the short amount of time that I've been in Cache Valley. um, We've had new bike races pop up and we've had the tour of Utah come here, um, which hadn't been here before. And now it's been here three times. um, Every other year. Every other year. Right. Mm -hmm. So where do you think, what do you think the state of, of biking is in Cache Valley now?
1: Well, um, the stats are clear that bike racing is down particularly road racing um where there is growth is the high school mountain Mountain bike racing is big in utah in fact i think it's growing faster numerically in utah than even california with a smaller population so that's pretty yeah it
0: seems like every high school has a a mountain bike team or especially here in cache valley you've got some really strong
1: in utah in general yeah yeah i think uh i think that's fantastic i think the bike park is going to help that um My actually, my passion for cycling is more the utilitarian value of it, because of our air quality and stuff. And then, and then once you get into it for that reason, you may race, you may mountain bike, you may tour, you may vacation with bikes. But from a purely philosophical, what's the best? You know, what do I? You know, most of my bike riding now is commuting, you know, errands and stuff. not because I don't like riding bikes, but I have these other projects that keep me really busy because I want them. I mean, I'm motivated to work on them, but um, you know, that to me is. And once you start doing that, I mean, now I'm thinking, I, I mean, I'm jonesing to ride more all the time. You know, like oh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll get, try racing again. I mean, that's always, uh, you know. Pulling at me personally, so. Well,
0: where do you? Um, is there anything that you're looking forward to at sunrise? Anything that we should know about? Anything with Lodajah? Sounds like you've got maybe some other bike races brewing, or you need to talk to some people about getting some stuff going. Any anything that you're looking forward to in the future when it well, comes to bikes? <clears throat>
1: um, here in Cache Valley, mm-hmm. in particular, yeah. I I'm looking. I think there's going to be more people cycling mm-hmm. for a whole lot of reasons. Um, and I, I I think the fun factor, the utilitarian value, um, our air quality, so philosophical values, I think all of it, I think people, I think it's going to, well, I think I'm going to back up a little bit. So a few years ago, I took on some business partners, and so I had to learn some stats as to how big our industry was and stuff. And it was 49 million, 43 million active cyclists. That was people that said they rode X number of times a week. the United States? Yeah. Since that time period, it's dropped to less than 37 million. Wow. That's a pretty big decrease. Whereas baseball has grown. Oh, interesting. Yes. So (laughs) because of the car-bike relationship issue, um, the whole internet... And what we do with our time. Um, kids are less active. So we are ha the industry's having a harder time getting young people to write.
0: But overall you feel like it's positive?
1: I think here in like Cache Valley, I think it's positive. Yeah. Um I I I don't think it's um, it's changing for sure. Mm-hmm. Um I don't really know what the kid participation level is because with all the different avenues for getting bikes, um, you know, like we have, we don't sell as many kids' bikes as we used to Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of different avenues. And in addition, a good kid's bike can be passed down and we encourage that, that you buy a good one and pass it down. Um, So it's really hard for us to number it. Um, You know, we... I actually run my business kind of however I'm going to run it anyway, so I I pull my head out and look at what's going on, but I have this philosophy, if you're too busy looking at numbers, you're looking at the past, and it's like driving your car in a blizzard and looking at your own tracks, Mm -hmm. just seeing where you've gone. But you might not be looking ahead to know where you're going. Yeah, the, past, does, the
0: past doesn't always predict the future.
1: No, and yeah. and we actually <clears throat> on a national basis, sunrise doesn't fit the numbers. Right. And and so I don't really know how to translate it to local basis. Yeah. If that makes sense.
0: But by the eye test, it looks like things are things are positive.
1: Yeah. I I mean uh, I think I feel good about it. Yeah. I mean it's a neat. I mean, I'd rather be doing this and selling washing machines. Yeah. I mean, maybe there's something really exciting going on there, but I haven't figured that out. Yeah. Yet.
0: <laughs> well, th- this has been fun. How do, how do people stay in touch with you, Sunrise, as well as, as uh, Lodojah?
1: Well, Lotoja, the website...
0: Yep,
1: loadedge dot, dot com. dot com, and it might be Classic as well dot com. Yep. and um, Brent Chambers is the guy that heads it up. And this time of year, he might be able to communicate with you, but come next summer, he is. Yeah, he works seventeen hour days, loses about twenty five pounds, and. I'm surprised he's still walking by time. Loaded, giant. yeah.
0: Well, we're glad he is because it's yes. such a great event and it oh. adds so much to the community. And and you've contributed so much to the to Cash Valley. We're glad you're here and grateful for all that you do. So, how do people yeah. stay in touch with you at Sunrise? Just walk in the door.
1: Come in the door. If I'm I'm hiding more because I have this big thing I'm working on again. Okay. Zeox.
0: Yes. Well if you happen to be around.
1: If I'm around say hi. Yeah.
0: Okay, well thank you again for taking the time. Thanks for listening to the Highlander Podcast. Subscribe and listen for more outdoor stories and content wherever podcasts are found. On Highlanderbag.com and each Sunday at four PM on Aggie Radio, ninety-two point three FM in Cash Valley.